Matthew chapter 28, and I'm going to read verses 18 through 20. It says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things, whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you alway, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So the title of the message is The Command of Baptism. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your word. We thank you for um, the opportunity we have to open it in this afternoon to learn and grow and be encouraged and reminded of some things that we uh, sometimes take for granted, but that was uh, it's very important in our walk with the Lord and understanding of our doctrine as Baptists. I pray that you to give us understanding and wisdom into thy truth, and uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You might ask the question, where did baptism come from? This really wasn't one of my points, but this thought came to me while we was, because it wasn't practiced in the Old Testament. Now, the, to support baby baptism or infant baptism, people will go to the Old Testament, dedication of babies and so on and so forth, but, um, which is unscriptural. But the origin of baptism is with John the Baptist. And he's called, in the Bible, John the Baptist. In Matthew chapter 3, <clears throat> that's not the passage I was looking for. Uh, Maybe it's Luke chapter 3. Let me, let me give me a minute here. Yes, it is, too. I'm sorry. Look at verse 1. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. We saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism. He said of them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance. Think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you, This God is able these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And so baptism originated with John the Baptist. And the word of God calls him John the Baptist. Um, that isn't really where Baptists get their name. Their name Baptist was given to us by our enemies because we rebaptized. Um, they called us Anabaptists first. Although John the Baptist preached the same message that we are to preach repentance and faith. And there's to be works meet for repentance. In other words, to show forth that a person has truly repented of their sins. You know, a person that 
the person that has confessed Christ as their Lord and Savior should be examined. There should be some evidence that's seen in that person's life. And, and, and that's what John was looking for. He was looking for some evidence from the Pharisees that they had truly repented. He said, don't tell me just because you're children of Abraham or the seed of Abraham that you're a child of God because, you know, that don't mean anything. Um, natural lineage doesn't make a person a child of God. And so that's the origin of baptism. It began with John. Of course, John baptized the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and of course, Christ then authorized his disciples. But we, so we see this command in, the given us in what we call here the Great Commission. Uh, of course, the command is to evangelize. We're to go into all nations, teach all nations the doctrines of salvation, and then baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, then teaching them to observe all things. Of course, you could sum those things up by uh, leading Christ and establishing New Testament churches. And they were to be baptized and organized as a church. And so this, of course, was given to the disciples or the first church. And, and so the command has been given to the churches to, uh, to baptize those that are born again. Uh, Jesus, Jesus authorized baptism, but the interesting thing is, he didn't actually do it. Look at John chapter 3. John chapter 3. <clears throat> In other words, he was baptized himself, but he didn't himself did not baptize other people. He authorized disciples. And, and so in John chapter 3 and verse 22, it says, After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he baptized with them, or there he tarried with them and baptized. If you go to chapter 4, verse 1, Then therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. Now notice this phrase. Though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. So Jesus, John of course baptized the Lord Jesus Christ to establish righteousness to show a pattern uh, and it also pictured his death, burial, and resurrection, which was what baptism pictures. Uh, he was baptized by John, and then uh, so the authority came directly from God through John to the Lord Jesus, and then to his disciples. And Jesus authorized his disciples to baptize those that came uh, to Christ uh, through him. Uh, so, so this was the the command, this command was given, is given then to the churches to baptize. Uh, and it's a command that the churches followed down through history. And of course, this, you know, this authority is given to the local churches. Baptism gives one entrance into the church. Look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> And verse 41. Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now the them is referring to the 120. Uh, they had a membership role. In uh, uh, Acts chapter 1, 
Verse 15 tells us the number of the names together were about 120. So all these 3,000 were added uh, through baptism on the day of Pentecost. They were added to the church there at Jerusalem. And so uh, we see here that baptism is an interest into the church. Uh, so that's a command. God commanded us to go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing those that believe on Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and, and they are to be baptized and organized as a church. And it is the church who has the authority to, dis, to determine, or, well, as the Bible calls it, the, the authority of binding or loosing. In other words, the church has the authority who joins and who doesn't. Who gets baptized and who don't? You know, Matthew chapter 18. Look at Matthew 18. <clears throat> Some say this was given, this was, the Catholics like to say this was given to Peter, but that's not the case here. It's given to the church. The authority is given to the church. And it's the church that has the authority to baptize. Matthew 18, verse 17 Verse 15 says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between him and thee, thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man or a publican. In other words, he's as an unsaved man. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind, notice the, the, the word ye, it's not thee, it's not talking about a single person. You know, pastors don't have authority of themselves to baptize. The authority rests in the church. The pastor may be the man designated to do it. And actually the pastor could say to someone else, I want you to do it. And the church could authorize or agree to authorize anybody who's a member of the church to baptize. Philip baptized. He was a deacon. He was authorized. He was sent out by the church at Jerusalem to go to Samaria, and he baptized. So he was authorized by the church at Jerusalem to baptize at Samaria. Uh, and so, and you know, that's what Jesus did with his disciples. He authorized them to baptize for him, for the first church. Um, so if he neglect to hear the church... It says, uh, let them be unto the he, that is at the church. Verily I say unto you, what ye shall bind in earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever ye shall loose in earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you that if you, two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. You might say that's the simplest form of a local church there. So the church has the authority, has been given the command to baptize. It has the power of binding or loosing, determining who is a member, who retains membership, and who does not. According to its, you know, we have a constitution. The constitution is the law. Our constitution, um, just like this, this is, a, this is a, a North Carolina state constitution. Of course, this is the United States constitution. Anyway, uh, you know, this is, this is what determines the law of the state of North Carolina, at least it's supposed to. And this is supposed to determine the law of the United States of America, not the president, not Nancy Pelosi, or anyone else in D.C. No, this is. And I don't determine what the law of Lighthouse Baptist Church is. Our Constitution does. And that Constitution was voted on and established by Calvary Baptist Church. 
and Lighthouse Baptist Church, of course, has approved. We've amended that constitution since then, just added a few things. But, but so that's been agreed upon by the church. So that is the authority. So the authority is the New Testament church. And the New Testament church has been given the command to baptize. Now, so that's the command. The, the custom or the manner of baptism, of course, is by uh, the word baptism or baptizo, the Greek word means to dip. To plunge, to immerse. Uh, to dip is a, is a better term because we don't, you know, if you immerse something, you keep it down there. And, you know, we don't do that. But, uh, no, we dip. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it means to make fully cover. And, again, we see this practice in the New Testament. Again, in Mark chapter 1, uh, <clears throat> Mark chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, There went out unto him all the land of Judea, that is to John, they of Jerusalem were all baptized in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Uh, verse 10 says, Straightway coming up out of the water, this is the baptism of Jesus, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. So we see Jesus coming up out of the water. And it gives you the indication again, again here that he was put into the water. He wasn't had some water poured on his head or some, have some water sprinkled on him. Or have a super soaker and just soak everybody, you know. Uh, no, he, had, he went into the water. Uh, and up out of the water. Uh, John, in John chapter 3, verse 23, it tells us that John baptized near Enon because there was much water there. Now, you don't need a whole lot of water to sprinkle somebody or to pour something some on their head. All you need is a little vial. I know, because I had it done to me when I was a kid. Just need a little vial. I didn't even see the thing. They, the preacher carried it with him as he went across. We had like a dozen of us lined up in front of the, that midnight church. And, you know, and I didn't even see the thing. It was so small. I just poured a little a couple drops of water in your head. You know. uh, no, John baptized near Eden because, because there was much water there. In Acts chapter 8, when Philip baptized eunuch, it says they both went down into the water and came up out of the water. And so, we see this practice in the New Testament. Uh, it's a testimony of history. The custom of baptism to dip or to plunge is the testimony of history. You know, the interesting thing is, even up to the 13th century, Catholics would baptize by immersion. Thomas Aquinas, who was Catholic, 13th century, said, quote, It is safer to baptize by immersion because it is the general practice, unquote. Whereas it wasn't a conviction, it was the general practice. Pope Gregory the Great, he was born in 1550 AD, said, quote, Let the priests baptize with immersion, unquote. The, the, the Protestants who again, poured or whatever. John Calvin, quote, the very word baptize signifies to immerse. And it is certain that immersion was the practice of the ancient church, unquote. When, uh, I'm trying to remember his name, Joel Smith, you remember Joel Smith. Joel Smith uh, told a story. He was in Israel on a tour one time and they were touring all the old church where the old churches were in, in Jerusalem and around Judea. And he said, uh, 
uh, he said, he asked the tour guide. He says, is it not true that all the churches originally had baptismal pools in them and they've been filled in? He said, yes, it is true. In other words, they had baptistries. Why? Because they baptized by immersion. Martin Luther, quote, although the custom has gone out of much of use with most persons, yet they ought to be entirely immersed and immediately drawn out. The mode of baptism ought, therefore, to correspond with the significance of baptism so as to set forth a sure and full sign of it, unquote. And, of course, Romans chapter 6 tells us the significance of baptism. Well, the sign is burial and resurrection. Burial and resurrection. Uh, Dollinger, a German Catholic, quote, Baptism by immersion continued to be the prevailing practice of the church as late as the 14th century, unquote. So you might ask the question, how do people justify infant baptism? Where do you find it in Scripture? Well, you don't. So you twist Scripture. Uh, David Fettus, the Christian Reformed Church, said this, quote, The Bible tells people of people bringing babies to Jesus. The Lord's inner circle of disciples rebuked the parents for bringing these little ones. But what did Jesus do? When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And of course, he took him in his arms and he blessed them. This story doesn't mention baptism, but it does say a great deal about the status of believers' babies. Jesus embraces and blesses babies of believing parents and says his kingdom belongs to such as these. How then can the church refuse the sign of citizenship in God's kingdom and membership in his family? Unquote. So because Jesus blessed the babies, and by the way, he didn't say the kingdom of God belongs to such a one as these. He said, if you want to be, enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to be like unto a little child. Humble yourself like as a little child. He didn't say that the kingdom of God belongs to such a one as these. Again, here's a twisting of scriptures. Um, and the kingdom of God, by the way, baptism is not entrance into the kingdom of God. Salvation is. When you get saved, you enter into, you're entered into the kingdom of God. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 5, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is entered by being born again. And the same way you enter the family of God. But if you want to enter a church, you've got to be baptized. It's two different things. A twisting of scriptures. You know, you could say, well, Luke 20, or Matthew 27, 5 says, Judas... Judas went and hanged himself, and Luke 10.37 says, go and do likewise. So, you know, you do something like that, too. Uh, no, no. Uh, the church, of course, is a visible body of Christ. The kingdom of God is invisible, and the, and the entrance into the kingdom is the new birth, but those who were baptized were added to the church. And, uh, and so... Uh, that is the custom or manner in which the Bible commands we are to baptize. Thirdly, the candidate for New Testament baptism, of course, we believe in believer's baptism, not infant baptism, uh, but believer's baptism. Again, Matthew 28, 
Verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So we're to teach them the doctrines of salvation, and of course if they receive those doctrines, we are to baptize them. Uh, Mark 16, and verses 15 and 16, if you compare Scripture with Scripture, the scriptures will very clearly clarify itself. Mark 16, verse 15. He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Now, this, is, of course, is not teaching baptism or regeneration, but what it is teaching is that a person is to believe first and then be baptized. It's believer's baptism. And if a person truly be, is born again, they're going to desire baptism. Baptism doesn't save you. But I believe if a person is truly born again, they'll desire baptism. They'll desire to, to, uh, to unite with a, one of, a body of Christ, which is his church, through, and again, identify with Christ uh, through the waters of baptism. Uh, in Luke chapter 3 and verse 8, as we looked in Matthew chapter 3, uh, John said he wanted fruits, meat for repentance. In other words, I want, to, I want to see that you believe that you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior before I baptize you. We'll see some evidence of salvation. That, of course, required repentance. Uh, in Acts chapter 30, or Acts chapter 8, when Philip was, was preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch, and the eunuch said, What doth hinder me? To be baptized, verse 36. And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so, you know, we often say, Upon the profession of your faith, we baptize you. It's believer's baptism. And this is the reason with the persecution of our Baptist forefathers. They insisted on believers' baptism. And, and they rejected, of course, the infant baptism and proxy baptism and all those things. Uh, and so, so it is believers' baptism. And fourthly, the creed of the New Testament baptism, the creed is a system of belief or doctrine. And the doctrine of baptism is... Three things. Number one, it identifies one with the burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6 and verses 3 and 4. Romans 6 verses 3 and 4 says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So baptism here identifies one with the burial and resurrection of Christ. It, 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 it demonstrates one's belief that Jesus died, was buried, and that literally bodily resurrected from the grave for my sin. He died in my place. And I've received him as my Lord and Savior and, I, and, 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 and desire to live for him. 
So it identifies with the burial and resurrection of Christ. It's also a public testimony of receiving Christ as Lord and Savior. It, uh, you know, it, it pictures, again, burial self. Verse 5 says, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So it's a public testimony that I have received Christ as my Lord and I no longer am in control of my life. I'm burying myself. I'm crucified to Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2 tells us. You see, other methods of baptism destroy this meaning. There's no burial in a pouring or a sprinkling. There's no burial in infant baptism. And so it destroys the meaning or the significance of what baptism is. So it's a public testimony that I have received Christ as my Lord and Savior and I have surrendered my life to Him and I, I am now going to have a new life in Christ. And then, of course, thirdly, it is identifying with or joining, becoming a member of the, of, of the body of Christ, which is his church. In, in uh, Acts, chapter, Acts chapter 2, in verse 41, there we read, In the same day, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now, this is, a, this is something that in our part of the world um, is not as serious as it was in this context. If you, you know, you read on here very, very, very far, and you're going to find, for example, Barnabas selling land bring it to the apostles' feet for distribution to be made to those in need. Why wasn't there need? Because when a Jew got baptized and joined a body of Christ, he was cut off from his family, his inheritance. Um, it, was, it was the drawing line, you might say, the separating line. And, and for many in, our, in the world today, to identify with Christ in baptism is to, to mark yourself. It's to mark yourself. It is a, an identifying mark. So like I told you, family, I, I told, told the, one of the members of this family that I know quite well that you know, I was independent Baptist. said, oh, that identifies you right away with a certain group. And I'm sure she knows very well what that is. She went to, she took two years, I think two years at uh, um, Eastern Mennonite University, which is a liberal, it's, it's like the domination. But, but anyway, so I'm sure she studied some church history. But, um, you know, it's, oh, it's like you're one of those. Um. So the Jews understood this very well. And that's why this distribution 
uh, was given because of the persecution that came to those who had joined themselves with the body of Christ and had been scripturally baptized. So it is an identifying. And of course, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13 says, For by one spirit all y'all, are you all baptized into one body, whether it be Jew or Gentile, whether it be bond or free, and have been made to drink into one spirit. You know, that caused a lot of friction in the first church. Jew and Gentile in one body. It caused the Jews to persecute the Apostle Paul. Um, That's what that was all about. Because he taught that a Jew and Gentile could be members of the same church and have the same privileges in the sight of God by receiving Christ as Lord and Savior and being baptized into one of his bodies. A Jew and Gentile. You know, see, we're all unclean things to an Orthodox Jew. But in Christ, we are one. And so it is identifying with the body of Christ, his church. Uh, Baptism, it's a command that was given to us by our Lord. It is an identifying mark. It's an identifying mark of God's people. Uh, We be joined together of one of the bodies of Christ, a New Testament church. So, and again, it is for believers, those who have trusted Christ as a Lord and Savior, and give evidence of fruit unto eternal life. So have you been scripturally baptized? Now you've been born again? Have you identified with Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly